0: me was us last night for about 24 points in the ball game that we gave up because of things that we didn't do correctly, the things that we need to do better at. It is embarrassing. With the thing we say is to, to win a football game, you got to keep from losing. We felt like we lost the football game yesterday because we didn't do the things that we need to do to, uh, to play winning football, and that's protect the football.
1: And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the great British Isles it's a centenary edition we made it to 100 episodes and in true Texans fashion they've given us a lot to talk about in another week and a rather forgetful result um, up in Buffalo but this week joining me I've got a man who probably needs no introduction now the number of times he's given us time to join us Mr. Brandon
0: Scott from Radio 610 Brandon how you doing? doing pretty good man appreciate you for having me again and we do have a lot to talk about for uh for such little output uh, of a team we do have a lot to discuss so yeah it is in true texans fashion so glad to be here man yeah if you can talk an hour for a team that can't put up a point on
1: sunday then uh, i don't know if that's us doing something right or them but um and then a man who's probably um, some of the most thoughtful um, and thought-provoking articles out there um, for his own website, Footballs Outsider and NBC Sports. Edge Mister Rivers McCown. Rivers, how you doing?
2: Doing well. Good to uh, finally be here.
1: No, th- thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Um, what's your initial reaction, then, Rivers? You want to kick us off? A forty, a forty to zero loss on a, on, a, on a rather rainy New, up, upper state New York Sunday, um, was the Texans probably offensive output, kind of mirror the weather, but what do you make of a 40-0 uh, to zero loss? There's not much you can take out, I suppose.
2: I mean, I wasn't surprised. Uh, the Bills are definitely one of the top contenders in the AFC. Um, it was always going to be really hard to get Davis Mills to have real st- statistical output against a team that plays as well as they do, even with some backups out there. And, you know, like, I I know that it feels bad, and it should feel bad, but it doesn't really make a big difference in the grand scheme of what the Texans are doing this year. It's just one result, as they've said, and it was a a tough one to watch. (laughs) Brandon, what you make of it? Yeah, just...
0: I just kept thinking, "Get, get Will Tyrod. Get, get Will Tyrod." And I, you know, I agree with Rivers' overall point that it's inconsequential in the grand scheme of things. But one of the things that you know, someone, especially uh, all of us, who all three of us who watch every one of these games, one thing for me that I wanted for us is to at least have watchable football. And that was my biggest takeaway from Sunday was that it, it at times was unwatchable. I thought it was so fitting and so perfect that the broadcast ended up having technical difficulties and had issues broadcasting the game because it was such a horrible game to watch, especially if you watch it through the lens of, you know, a Texans fan or observer. So I I just kept thinking throughout it that, you know, Davis Mills is not the sole problem with what's going on with the offense, but it did it did remind me of how watchable at least the offense was when Tyrod Taylor the small sample size of Tyrod Taylor that we did have and how I just couldn't help but think you know I'd I'd like to I'd like to at least watch the team with a you know a serviceable uh, NFL level quarterback who's actually ready to run an offense you know I know there's this you know, desire to want to see what you have from Davis Mills from Texans fans, and you know, I I, I I I'm I'm glad at least that you have this tape to evaluate. Um, but you know, I, I I am at the point of hey, give me at least watchable football. I think your answer at quarterback is going to be elsewhere anyway, so why not at least have your stopgap guy in there so you can, you know, again at least put on. T- tape that you don't have to be ashamed of like you were on Sunday
1: Yeah and I suppose you kind of go from first couple of weeks of you know this is better than expected and, I, and as River said there right there wasn't the, on a talent on paper that shouldn't have been a big surprise to anybody and that was one of the games you know if not the toughest two or three games we, we face on this schedule but I kept going through the, the, the thoughts watching it on Sunday where I was like at times yeah this is tough to watch um, and it was, just, I tweeted out exactly that. And Brandon, it was unwatchable. Um, it was, it just lacked so many basic fundamental principles of what you need to be a, a pro football team that's going to, you know, be able to just keep its head above water. And it, 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 at times it looked okay, and then obviously the dam burst a bit in the in the fourth. But my overall reaction is actually, do we need this? Does, does this does this result actually then? crystallise some of the the clear-cut problems that we've got and the, and the legacy issues that we're dealing with. Do you think this changes Casario to a degree, but then do you think it, you know, and I don't know how many thoughts register in his head per minute, but Cal, does that change his Does that change his outlook on this team? And maybe actually, you know, when you get beat 40 to know, you go, okay, maybe we're, you know, we're a lot further away than we would have liked to have thought, you know, best case scenario.
0: I mean, I, I I would think that they were aware of that this was a possibility, especially in context. Like going back to what Rivers said, how it's not that surprising given what where you are with the talent. Like I don't I don't think that they thought they were going to go in there and be competitive against Buffalo. Now maybe they didn't see forty to nothing coming. I'm gonna be honest, I didn't I didn't think it'd be that bad, forty to nothing, um, and, and that you know your your quarterback will go out there and post a,
2: a quarterback rating. That's one of the, was just, oh, I don't think they thought it would
0: be that bad but they had to know and, and have to know even now and before that this is where they are with with the team that you know they're not going to be competitive competitive against a team like Buffalo now <clears throat> excuse me now maybe if being competitive against the Browns might have given them a little bit of uh, of hope of what they could be with Tyrod Taylor, but with Davis Mills going out there and then the weather conditions were what they were, I know they didn't want to make that out to be an excuse, but you know, Mills didn't look great, you know, in perfect conditions in a, you know, in a weather controlled stadium, you know, much less out there in Buffalo, given those conditions. So, I mean, I, I I would like to think that they were aware that this is how bad things are and They've got, they, I mean, they've got uh, such a long way to go before this is a viable football team.
2: Yeah, that was, uh, I guess the only thing that I took away from that really uh, was I watched all the press conferences afterwards, of course. And and you've got guys who are kind of clinging to this idea that the culture is building. and. and I mean, I'm not in the locker room. I can't tell you what's going on there. But but it's interesting to me that uh the two big losses that they've had this year have both kind of ended with uh them pulling out the big culture leaders, your your uh Gamma your Hills, your uh Christian Kirkseys, your Mark Ingrams, and and just kind of rallying around, hey, we got a lot of football left, uh, we can still turn this around. David Coley did a big interview with uh mark and uh, john the other day and kind of rallied around that same point where he was just saying hey uh everything you know we're going to keep battling we're going to keep doing the same things we do and we think this locker room is going to respond and i think that's kind of an interesting uh way to look at 40 nothing i think that's uh, that that might be a bit of a stretch but that's interesting how that was where they came where they wound up on the talking points
1: yeah i think as well like the you know, it feels, it felt inevitable that would happen again, or this would happen at some point in the season. You would come up against a team who's far more talented than you. Things wouldn't go your way. Um, it's a, It's been a, a formula heavily balanced on turnovers and which should throw games in your favour. You you remove that basic layer out and it's an uncompetitive football team at best. But then when you look at the, like a number of games or seven games, both against Tennessee, the 49ers, both LA teams... Uh, Arizona, the undefeated Arizona Cardinals and Seattle and you think all those seven games have got the potential to be 40 nothing, or, you know, 31-7 or 38-7 or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, um, you know, my, my thought at the end of the game was, well, I find it hard to get too upset about it because, you know, we can see that happening again at some point, pretty t- you know, sometime soon.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is we 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 all knew coming in here what the big deal was with this team, which is just that they have a lot of players who belong in the NFL, who are definitely NFL players, but no top tier talents, and a lot of other teams had that top tier talent. And, and I guess you know, reading between the lines, you know, watching other people watch the game, uh, kind of react in real time, a lot of this is a team that's going to create a lot of ooh, well, that's just. Good NFL play by the other team. Well, yeah, it is, and uh, the Texans don't have anything that can really overcome that, and that's kind of the reason national media, local media, whoever is just down on this team because the top tier talent isn't there.
1: Yeah, and 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 it hurts. I think sometimes when even you see like a guy last night on on uh, on Monday Night Football, like Christian Covington, a guy who was a decent player, uh you know coming out of Rice and he's making plays for another team and I think when you see the amount of players that have kind of moved on or you know that we've failed to hold on to or we've jettisoned um, and you see what's left I suppose it crystallises it for some people and I think as well there's a tendency and Rivers probably knows this better than most he's the the, uh, the, the victim of a lot of the vitriol sometimes of of, of of you know healthy healthy realism and we try and do this on this podcast river so you're in good company here but I think you know people try and convince themselves of you know infographics and stats and you know uh, you know s- you know, narrow snapshots of what you can paint a positive picture about this team um but I, I think the fact that Whitney merciless is your sack leader the fact that you you know you're a team that say you're committed to run the ball and you can't run the ball. Um, and the only bit of your team you've invested in, um, in the offensive line can't can't play, and 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 I I think for me I don't know what the what the biggest disappointment here is is it the fact that the only bit of your team you're now running out of excuses and do we have to just accept these aren't good players, um up front, um obviously limited defensively but I mean what what would you guys say is the worst part of this team and is it fi- and, and and is any of it fixable?
0: I mean, I I would say the worst part of the team, obviously, you you know, you're starting a a third round rookie quarterback. The worst part of the team has got to be somewhere between the offensive line, which I think has been some in some way self-inflicted and what they've done with Titus Howard, moving him from right tackle to left guard. Yeah. And and so. So let's just go there real quick. I think what you've done there
2: is. You you've you've downgraded position. Upgraded a position at right tackle because Marcus Cannon's not good at right tackle.
0: Run in place at left guard. At already there at left guard, but that is to say that he's not good. at Upgrade the position that you were trying to upgrade. And you downgrade it at the position where you pulled from. And Max Sharpen's not... And... In... in um, and and blocking so and then I think that Justin Britt is fine but I mean I've seen him get whooped a couple of times this year as well so and then he hasn't played football in a long time so like the offensive line and what they tried to do um is not working so far and so to like to your point of what the worst part of the team is the worst part of the team is that they want to be this run heavy team they want to be I don't know, the Baltimore Ravens or like, I, I don't know, they want to they want to purport them, to, you know, purport themselves to be this, you know, this run heavy team and they don't have the personnel to do that and haven't been able to acknowledge that yet, uh, or at least that they didn't do a good job in, um in arranging that. And so uh, so that, I mean, that's the worst part of the team. And then you look outside of that, it, you know, the weapons wide receiver, not very good, not very deep outside of. Uh, Brandon Cooks, uh, you look at the decision to to carry five running backs on the active roster only to not have a good running game. How do you explain that? I mean, it doesn't like it doesn't take football genius and like, you know, studying the all 22 to understand that this does not carry out, you know, logically Um, and and just real quick on the run game. um, One of the things that stood out to me even more so watching rewatching and yes I did rewatch the and I'm sure you guys did as well the the Texans Bills game one of the things that stood out to me even more so than it had before is that the, when we talk about how bad the run blocking is I'm sure you guys have noticed this it is not just even the offensive line like the t- the tight ends aren't very good at it Uh, The wide receivers aren't very good at it outside of Nico Collins, right? An underrated part of Nico Collins' injury, aside from him being maybe the second best pass catcher that they had, their second, you know, their number, possibly their number two option at wide receiver, was that he was actually a willing blocker, you know, um, already as a rookie. And I'm not saying that the others weren't willing, but they're not very good at it. Um, And so I think that is... That is all part of this, Um, you know, this sort of catastrophe in the running game that may be overlooked as we talk about how bad the offensive line is, though it is bad. So those would be the things that stand out to me. I don't even want to rag on the defense right now. I'm sure we'll get into them, but uh, I'm actually, given the context and circumstances, okay with the defense. So I'd, I'd point out the offensive line and the offensive unit as a whole in their run blocking.
2: I think Rex Burkhead should be signed to a three-year extension. He just needs to be on the roster forever. That'll fix everything.
1: But yeah, I mean, how many guys? how, but how many guys do we have on this roster right now who are just taking up space? Um, Andre Roberts has got to fill in that gap. The countless guys you signed at defensive line. Jordan Jenkins has been subbed. He can't. He's not even active on the on the on the game day roster. And obviously, we're we're one man shy already with the. With the elephant in the room we'll obviously come on to that later but like how many guys are just here to take up space and if you if you know and i think you go back to the wide receiver they, they went light at wide receiver got a couple of injuries very early It's shot them in the foot you've got far too many running backs the only one who's got youth and a bit of energy they refuse to play and and then you've got and then you've got the, the most kind of ridiculous situation ever that that you've got a roster who basically can't get out its own way for, for probably decisions that are not not necessarily you know a lot of the coaching staff's fault as well. And I suppose when you see the 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 misshapen uh, roster configuration, I suppose that comes back to Casario because everybody's willing to praise him, and I think everybody's you know, and it's that syndrome of you've got finally got a, you know an adult in the room, so therefore they must be right. Uh, but I suppose some of his decisions have got to come into question as well because, you know, we've spent a lot of money on this team. We're not, you know, we're not sitting on huge amounts of ca- salary cap space, converted guys to signing bonuses. So, you know, they've got no real interest in earning that game day check. They've banked, you know, three quarters of their salary for the season, you know, back 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 in training camp. So, you know, I, I think that the, for me that the role of Casario kind of comes into this as well because the, the roster's misshapen. And and I, I, and for me, there's there's just too much of kind of, you know, like River said earlier, that will rely on the culture, you know, and I think ultimately you can only hide behind that for so long and if there's another four or five of these absolute trouncings, um, you know, we're not even, they don't even look like a pro side, I think maybe people will start to look around further than the coaching staff because we all know an element of this coaching staff is all very temporary, uh, but I, I suppose the the biggest issue is can you know from Davis Mills, um, the the best tweet I saw about him is the Texans are missing a, missing a commercial opportunity if they don't release a Davis Mills Pez dispenser reference to the size of his neck, <laughs> uh, which I thought was was about the only benefit I have saw of him so far, and um, that he can bring to this ball club. But do you, do you th- look like, and you can't write him off this early. Bad conditions, weather, poor talent around him, you know. And Tim Kelly's regress. We'll come onto that a bit in a bit, but the coaching staff, But is there any benefits you can take from? davis mills is there any is there is there any signs of life there that that's worth pursuing any by any stretch of the imagination
0: i hear from rivers on this <laughs>
2: uh yeah I, let's trust, ask, I, trust, uh, I trust you
0: on this Rivers. Let me, ask, let me hear what you got
2: well let's ask the guy who's always negative to talk about the guy who had the worst game in like four years ten years or whatever <laughs> we're,
0: hey, we're all on record uh, i want to hear from rivers but we're all on record i, I or for sure you and i are both on record, I think, on on Davis Mills. But I, I want to hear you, man.
2: I just don't think he's ready. I don't think I don't think any viewing of his preseason tape could have told you, oh, this is a guy that's going to step in right away in week four and play. he will just crush it. I mean, he was off, he was kind of awkward then. I do think that he he's shown red was an arm talent. He, his throws deep have been pretty bad. But other than that, like, I think he can be a match shop sort of guy with all the tools that he has. The problem is just he's not there and you can't really rely on him getting there anytime soon. So it never made sense to me to problem into that role. And you know, after after preseason, I was stunned that the Texans didn't make a play for a quarterback. I know, I think they were involved in that. Uh, uh, I think it's Brett Ripon, the guy the, the Broncos have. I think they were involved in that. And part of the reason he got elevated to the active roster was uh, because Texans were chasing him. But uh, I mean, I, I don't understand dialing down, going back to this for more, because it's it It looked bad in the preseason, it looks bad now, and you have a general manager who loves to make moves. This is what he lives for, man. Just go find anybody else, please.
1: And do you not think, Brandon, that the base, I mean, for my, for my money here, I think they've done, he's a young guy and you had less than 290 passing attempts or completions, I can't remember which one, in college, obviously the 14-game start, you know, there was all that kind of easy rhetoric, but if he'd have gone back, he would have been a first-round pick. Well, I mean, for the tape I watched, and I, you know, and I'm, I've not watched as much film as, you know, the two of you guys, you know, over the years of watching this team, but for me, I just couldn't see it, and it, it looks so far away. So not only have you done him a disservice by trotting him out there, uh, you've done the whole team of the service by not bringing a viable quarterback backup option, the backup to your backup, I suppose, um, and and we all know Jeff Driscoll's not the guy unless he's just going to run it. So he's basically, then we've got six running backs on the on the active roster. effectively, if you bring Driscoll in. So then I mean so 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 you know so. As it goes back to my earlier point, everybody's so quick to praise Casario because it goes—you go from an abusive relationship when Bill O'Brien to somebody who treats you quite nicely and you know does what it says and does all the right things. So therefore, you think they're great, but actually, when you see what he's come in here, he's 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 left us short at number of positions we talked about, but no more so than than, than the most important position in this whole roster.
0: Yeah, no, I I think those are all fair critiques, and look. The, I, I think that what you're saying is there's a lot to it of, you know, the the fatigue and maybe there's like this refreshing feeling that somebody that is at least competent is there uh, in charge of things. But there, there have been a lot of curious moves. I mean. I mean, going back to what was what was my man's name, the the quarterback that they that they traded for and released before. Finley, okay. yeah. Here Finley we go, Ryan Finley. Finley. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's an incremental move that was curious from the start to me. That you know is might have even been my my first criticism of Nick Casario, and then all the way down to even drafting. Ah, uh, Davis Mills to begin with. I'm I'm fine with the philosophy of you know taking flyers out on quarterbacks, so I didn't think it was that big of a deal. But again, I did not see it. You know, it just, it just was not. It was never there. And you know, a uh, thought on on Mills, especially watching him when I you know bro- broke down his interceptions and just sort of his his play overall was that, you know, they've told us that Davis Mills can make all the throws. And to his credit, I, I I would say I've seen him make all the throws so he can make all the throws. The issue with him is that he doesn't make all the throws, (laughs) you know, like it, like being able to do something and actually in practice doing it, like actually carrying that thing out (laughs) when it's time to do it is are two totally different things. And so, yes, no, I've, I've watched the guy be the, the closest to throwing the, football into a trash can as anybody else out there who tried to do it. And, and when you talk about all the levels of throws that you can make on uh, a given game, he can, he can make all the throws. He does not make them, you know, like hard stop. simple as that, you know, you like, if you just want to break down, you know, each interception, uh, you know, one is, uh, the, the first one is in the double coverage. that shouldn't have even been thrown. You know, talking about making all the throws, there's a throw you shouldn't even make to begin with. The second one I think is that the one that gets tipped. Uh, yeah, the, the, one, the one where
2: the one where Milano is like right in his path too. Right, Unblocked. right.
0: Yeah, and that's not an issue. That's for for that one is forgivable, and that's not an issue of you know not being able to make all the throws. But it makes me think about man, do they have a read on this guy? Is he telegraphing his passes? Can they Are they reading his eyes? Can they basically tell exactly what read he's going to make and where he's going to go with the football more so than can he make all the throws? And then the third interception, uh, more so of a forgivable decision, but an example of him not making the throw. He underthrows Anthony Miller. I think he's probably thinking that Anthony Miller is going to get behind the defense and he drastically underthrows it. Also in the double coverage, I could I could see maybe what he was looking at there, but then that's just an example of not being able to or 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 not making the throw that you were trying to make. You know, he he underthrows that ball, and then the last one that pops off of Pharaoh Brown's hands is behind him, or at least not where it's supposed to be. However you want to look at it. it, that's not where that ball is supposed to be placed. I think Farrell would probably tell you would rather that you know thinks he should catch that ball. Most football players think so, but that's right. not where that ball is supposed to be. So I mean that's I mean that's just looking at the at at the interceptions. Not not to mention, you know where, what's that one throw to to Anthony Miller that you know there's somebody clearly in the in the path. And they jump up and he's like scared and like just throws it to the side of him where like no one has a has. I can't remember exactly the placement in the game where that was, but might have been a second or third down. But he's just trying to hit Anthony Miller in the flat and like just just can't do it because there's a guy there just jumping in his face. You know, it's just it was just bad. It's just it was rough to look at. And I don't see it. Um, well, let me just say this. OK, on Davis Mills, let's stop the whole you need to see what you have in Davis mills to decide whether you're going to draft a quarterback or not. That should not be a thing that needs to cease to be in a thing. And I'm not saying that that means you give, you're giving up on Davis mills by any stretch. That's not what I'm saying, I'm saying that you're giving up on the idea that Davis mills somehow factors into the way you make decisions about this football team, whether you get a quarterback or not, it ain't, it ain't because of what Davis mills did. OK, that needs to not be it. If if that is a part of the thought process, I'm concerned and I need it to not be a part of the thought process. Because if you see if you see a quarterback in a spot, whatever given slot it is that you like, go ahead and get go ahead and get them. If, if you if you don't, don't just reach out and just go get a guy just because you think, you know, you need to get a guy. Go ahead. You're bad enough as a team where you need the best player available at damn near every position that exists on a football team. So go get that guy. <laughs> Whether it's a quarterback or otherwise, and to hell with the idea of whatever Davis Mills is. I, I needed to get that off my chest. <laughs> I, I think when
1: you when you see like, and I watched these callers tape, and I watched them throw screen screen passes into the dirt, and then you come out and you throw multiple screens to start on a hard game on the road against what is you know in theory a Super Bowl contender, and I suppose it goes to the point of the coaching staff got a lot of praise for the first six quarters of football this year. And then the following 10 quarters uh, of football have not been as good in terms of coaching staff. And you saw, you know, the play calling didn't help them, but the conditions didn't either. Um, the organisation, the tackling, the discipline, the penalties, to have more penalties than you can produce in yardage, negative yardage, and you can produce some positive yardage yourself. Obviously, that's a recipe for disaster. But I think the coaching staff have to take a fair share of blame in the last couple of weeks. There was no David Culley blunders in terms of game management this week for the first time, so mild positive. But I think Rivers, the, the coaching staff, took a huge step back in the last couple of weeks in terms of you know the game plan that was there to execute, the play calls that were there, and just the general organisation. Because if you think going into Buffalo and Tavir Thomas at the nickel to add a little bit of extra blitz packages is the way to be successful, Lovie Smith, then you shouldn't be in this league for my money.
2: Well, I mean, th- this is all stuff that we saw coming too. It's not like the Jacksonville yeah. Jaguars game was. Uh, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence threw for three hundred and fifty yards almost. Yeah. Um, it wasn't. This wasn't like a so new and surprising thing. The thing was, then they got turnovers, and now you know I think they've like 0 for five on their last five fumbles on actually getting the ball. So I mean, that plays a part in it. Um I think Tim Kelly's doing fine. I, I was never someone who was like, oh man this is this guy is just killing right now even when they were doing well in the first couple games because i feel like he's never really done anything about the run game like that's just been a constant no-go and then as far as the passing game goes he's kind of like o'brien and that uh o'brien had was capable of doing you know two quarters of just like awesome stuff like bang 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 this is all good and then falling back into bad habits again and that's kind of as much as I think Kelly deserves credit for being a little bit better this year, like it's not like he became you know Brian Dable overnight. He's 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 still got some real issues.
1: Yeah, and I, I for me, it's just the the fact that you know you. The the team was in a position that they looked admirable. They looked organised, and you know that. And that takes that takes nothing. That that you know that is not dependent on the talent you have on the roster, which is clearly lacking. But you can be organised. You can wrap up and tackle well. You can hold your zone and try and keep those spaces tight as possible. Block and lanes. Make tackles at the line of scrimmage. Get off blocks. All this stuff doesn't take talent. I think when that fades away, it then looks very very ugly and snowballs quickly into what you know is a defeat on the road. But I suppose, Brandon, what did you make of the defence? I think when Cammy Grugier-Hill looks like maybe one of your best players only because he can shoot gaps as a linebacker, I think that probably gives you a reminder of where this talent is. And I suppose the the, the late COVID admissions of Ross Blacklock and Zach Cunningham, I don't think we necessarily missed either of
0: those guys, if I'm honest. Yeah, you know what? I'm, so I've been, I guess, again, in context and relatively speaking, bullish on the defensive line. And the linebackers, like as far as like, you know, and against the run, I think they're fine. You know, I don't, I don't have a tremendous issue with with that with them there. I think that the issue with the defense has been, and let's let's just say, just on the, on the Bills game real quick on the defense, I thought that that they maximized what they are and what they could be against the yeah. Bills defense, all things considered. Like that's not, not to give them a pass for like not being good against the run and not tackling well and things like that because those things were were an issue but my overall concern with the defense was the way it was before they kind of made these little shifts around in the secondary and and before what we saw against buffalo it's that you know this (laughs) this zone coverage deal they don't they don't play zone coverage well and they they do they do things a lot that they don't do well um is what I guess bothers me about the team in general and so like the I never I don't know if I thought that the corners were the biggest problems as, as much as it was looking back at the that the linebackers don't play with enough depth and the safeties play too deep and that kind of basically makes them an extremely vulnerable defense uh even more so than the way you think of a you know zone coverage defense in the way that you would attack it like it's it's like it's like drastic in the way that they carry it out and the way that they execute it so that was that was kind of my, has been my takeaway of, of how it looks i didn't think like I thought the differences were marginal. I didn't think Tavio thomas was was terrible. I know he had that penalty um I think that was more of kind of a bang bang play. I know you can't have that, but yeah, yeah. you know I, did, I i didn't I didn't hate him for that moment. Um, and I thought he was you know, fine for what he is, uh, but like Desmond King, I didn't think that you were much better, much better on the outside with Desmond King than you were with Vernon Hargraves. And, and, and before you react, I'm not saying that you need an, an excuse. You don't even mind permission, OK, to replace <laughs> Vernon Hargraves ever. OK, so I'm not making that case. I'm just saying that the the net result I didn't think was all that significant in in what they ended up doing there and and so i think that's just it's that's kind of a bit of a hopeless pursuit for for the personnel and the talent level that they have in the secondary um i i I do not love it obviously um don't think it's great but um but it sort of is what it is I, i have more of an issue with the fact that the linebackers don't cover well and that they're asked to cover and that um you know, well, and Justin Reed was back at least. And I think that's maybe Justin Reed and Lonnie Johnson is a better combination than uh, any combination without Justin Reed or any combination with Eric Murray, you know, which makes Lonnie Johnson or Terrence Brooks just the next guy, the other guy to pair with <laughs> Justin Reed. So um, so from there, I mean, I think it was fine. I thought the defense did what is as, as best they could do given the circumstances. Uh, it's not a great defense. It's... You know, overall, though, um, I think I would, I would say more passable than what we had come accustomed to last year. So, um, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm just so focused on how awful the offense is that the defense just being somewhat credible has uh, maybe even been just like a small silver lining where there are none.
2: When you trade Brad, Bradley Doby before the season and your outside cornerbacks in week four are Desmond King and Terrence Mitchell, you almost have to play as much zone as they do. That's the problem. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean,
0: that that's that, that's 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 entirely accurate. I mean, you, how how would you guys feel with those guys on an island with any competent NFL level receivers?
2: I don't want to see what I don't want to see what Stefan Diggs does to does to Terrence Mitchell out wide. No, no, that's OK. I'm good with that.
1: Yeah, I think though the issue with it with his zone scheme is you saw the Dawson Knox um, touchdown where he literally ran through. I think I think I counted three zones, and I said I've not tormented myself to watch this game back. I just couldn't do it um, as the the weather here has turned a bit pretty wintry, so I didn't want to sort of uh, depress myself any further. But I think that, that for me that like you know you saw on that play alone just somebody glide through, I think it was three different gaps in the zone. Um, and Josh, it was almost as if they said, if we run these certain routes against these coverages, you'll, you'll find space in any one of them. And he pump fake and just dropped in them. And, it, you know, and the tackling was poor at the last minute. People were leading with shoulders and what have you. Um you know stuff that we you know we thought m- might be behind us from last season, but I think on this defense, as you said, I think I mean for me, Desmond King's been a disappointment. I don't think you know I think he was probably you know arguably on paper has been a Pro Bowl um, was was a potential you know small silver lining in this season, but you know I came away from particularly on the defense, you know maybe. Gruger Hill as a backup linebacker but I know there's many guys that you want to take forward in the future years because ultimately this is about laying groundwork for further years to try and find guys who can be you know depth players slash you know squad specific role guys um, and I'm struggling to see right now Rivers you know how many of those there are you know and I think you can count them on one hand if any.
2: Yeah I mean the, the, the throw you're talking about the Dawson Knox touchdown I mean that's it's part of, it goes back to Lovey's scheme too. I mean, this is a read and react thing and they always take the first read. It's why they struggle with screens. It's why they struggle with any kind of play action. It's it's a misdirection thing. And that's why teams run all that stuff on them all the time. And, you know, in this case, you get a little pump fake and, you know, the entire middle of the defense is like, oh, and then all of a sudden Dawson Knox is running wide open. So, yeah, I mean, that's part of it for sure. Um this I, I think you have something in John Grenard. I think he played he played pretty well in his first couple games. I think you know you've got a little bit of flash of Ross. You got a little bit of a flash of Charles Amenahu, who I, I don't know if he's gonna be long-term or not, but he'll be here next year at least. And, and other than that, I'm like, well, I mean, Nick Cassero thinks these guys are good culture guys. So I guess Kabu's there and I guess uh Kirksy's there. Uh other than that just reads a free agent and Lonnie has been up and down and he makes safety interesting. And that's not something that you want to see at safety. So, I mean, he makes big plays. I hope he grows into it. I think he should keep starting, but as far as long-term fixtures, yeah, it's not a defense where you're just like, Oh, well, next year, we got this guy coming back. This first round pick, this this guy's going to grow a little bit. It's it's, it kind of is what it is at this point And the Laramie tunnel trade just, completely destroyed the draft classes for the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't see how you could look at anyone on this team and say de- definitively that they'll be here past, you know, let's call it after 2022. Like you know, maybe the, the rookies of the last couple of years, you might just reasonably expect that they're given enough time to, you know, to play their way out, so to speak. Um, so maybe, maybe the few draft picks that they have had over the last few years are, are probably the guys that are most likely to be around but the but the the roster is not constructed for the long haul. Um that is not what this is. Um again outside of the few rookies that they have or the few young players and draft picks that they have over the last let's just I guess call it two or three years. You know the guys that they'll have control of, uh, you know, team control over and everything. So, yeah, I mean, you look at the defense <laughs> and so who who are those guys, right? That's basically Jonathan Bernard and uh ross blacklock and you know lonnie johnson for i guess another year and uh charles amini i guess for another year and who are you talking about i mean justin reed is a huge that's a huge question mark on what they decide to do with that because even i cannot tell you comfortably what exactly justin reed is worth i don't have a guy maybe you guys can tell me but i don't know what a good Market or number is for Justin Reed. I don't know. I don't know if we feel like he's a, he's a great player, but he's certainly a very good one. um And and when he when he's making plays, he feels like he has the potential to be great. But does he outprice himself here, and you know, inevitably find some you know a better payday somewhere else? So I mean, that's probably get the guy out of all of them. You'd like to think, hey, you know, this guy will be around, but he might be even the least likely because uh, he might outprice himself. So I mean, I don't. I don't see a lot of long-term solutions on the team now. Um, and it's it's why this season to me was so much about evaluating the guys that you drafted over the last couple of years, you know, um, the Grenards and Blacklocks. Um, and uh, uh, of course, Titus Howard from a few years ago, I think is a is really a big deal. The fact that they've kind of messed with his position um, because that's your last first round pick, you know, before before your next one. And you don't really know what that is now. Because you've moved them yeah, but from. Have you
1: not? Have you not seen the T-shirts though? It says team, team, team. So if yeah. if they were gonna, if you know, if and that's it. That that and that is where this whole culture thing comes in again. Like, like exactly right, you're saying that yeah. they, they did what they thought was best for the team. They bring in an ageing tackle who hasn't played any football for over a year because he was a COVID opt out, and they completely. Well, they, they, they put his development, the only solitary piece on this on this entire roster who's been drafted at any any sort of premium draft spot and they've neutralised him by moving him and I think that, that's the that's the issue. I think, I suppose, Titus Howard for me is probably one B of the biggest disappointments of this year. He wasn't a great run blocker anyway. You've put him on the left hand side asking him to do things. He's probably still developing in a different position. Um, and you've got Philip Lindsay who came in, who was a good player, but you, you've you've shown a great example. I mean, I think we could be a, a test case of a number of years. Who you lose a great running back, and then fail to replace a running back position in so many ways over so many number years over multiple coaching staffs, um, just fail miserably at what is one of the easiest positions to fill. You know, the Jags have done it with an undrafted free agent, and. So when you add all these pieces together, it feels like the squad hasn't improved. It's been a band aid, you know, patchwork quilt, whatever you want to call this sort of roster, and it just seems to kind of. For me, I I was when I was I wrote a couple of notes down when I was watching it. As I said, I've not watched it back. I'm going off live memory, but for me, I just kept thinking, I can really care less if any of these guys aren't here, you know, in a couple of years' time, because I just don't see any benefit in it. And I think that's that. That was probably the point earlier I was making that. You know, does Casario see that? Um, does Cal see that, um, or does, or does, uh, or Hannah see that? It's probably more important. Than, um, but um, you know, I think does, uh, <laughs> as, as as a terrifying prospect as that is. But the but the but the you know the do they see that this is you know that this was thin on the ground anyway, um, and when you look at it in that context of not many guys rivers to take forward, do you think that do you think it moves the dial at all, or is it just, or do you think they'll just shrug this in culture until somebody you know has the gall to blow it up and start again?
2: I mean, the interesting thing about this because you're talking about titus howard moving that's part of the whole culture of versatility thing and that's the yep. thing that didn't start with this area by the way that started with jack easterby that, that happened when he came in and you know you've you, you've so you moved you moved uh titus over to over to left guard you've moved lonnie johnson to safety you moved back shopping from tackle the guard well like it's all of those picks now at this point. None of them have been have been given like a real ground to grow on in the slightest, and, and it's something that's been happening, you know, even before Casera said in the building. That's the scary part to me about this. Um, as far as you know, trying trying to figure out what this team does from here, uh, I don't know, but they can look at what happened as an outlier. I think that. When you trade for Marcus Cannon, when you sign Justin Britt, this kind of is what you should have expected. They're not, (laughs) they didn't play last year. It was always going to be a challenge for them to be like top elite players. And that's nothing against them. I'm rooting for them. They've played their hearts out. They've done nothing wrong. It's just that they've been put in a position to fail. And that's a recurring problem with this team.
0: Yeah, you know, I and just good to hit on the Titus Howard thing. Like, I and I think we've we've mentioned already how you've stunted his growth at right tackle, and like even even the outside chance. I thought that you know, if you end up parting ways with Laramie Tunsil or trying to flip him for whatever you could get there, that maybe even Titus Howard had the outside chance of being your left tackle of the future. I, I don't I don't know if that's a for sure thing, but but I I at least thought about it. I just don't understand why, if you knew you had problems at both guard positions, why didn't you just go address guard? you you all you did was move sharping over from left to right. And he's a guy who got benched last year at left at that left guard. So now he's gonna be your starting right guard, okay? And then at left guard, why not just go and try to find you a left guard or draft or? you know, like why not actually address that position? As opposed to disrupting a guy's develop- development and moving him there, you talk about T E A M—the what's best for the team. Like not even like selfishly thinking about this for Titus Howard, even though it would be essential to his individual development. Think about what's best for the team there. Why don't you actually go get you a left guard or get you a guard, you know, to or a couple of guards? Like address the position as opposed to say, oh, well, we're gonna we're gonna get cute and move this guy and then bring in a guy that we like, you know, a guy that we think has been good or who's been good before but hasn't played football recently and we're just going to make him the right tackle I said this before earlier in the show you know now what you have is you don't you don't have a good right tackle or left guard that that's what the experiment has done for you whereas at least before you had an adequate right tackle in 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 Titus Howard and then you know you would have been addressing guard however you could or maybe that would still be an issue but I think you've created an issue without addressing the one that you were trying to address uh, as opposed to solving anything. And so, I mean, that, that's really frustrating when you think about it from an individual player standpoint, from a guy that you drafted in the first round, and then from an overall team standpoint in terms of like what you're putting out there on the field, like it's just, it's just all bad.
2: Yeah. And the versatility thing too. I mean, like you, you've seen in the preseason too, uh, the lions drafted Penesuel very, very high, put him at right tackle. He completely just gets destroyed in the preseason. And then the Lions are like, hey, maybe we're being stupid here. Let's put him at a left tackle again. All of a sudden, he's fine. Interesting how that works.
0: <laughs> yeah, interesting how some guys just have a position, right?
1: Yeah. And I might be wrong, but I think, was it not Eric Murray didn't play a defensive snap? So I don't know if that's maybe the biggest uh, positive we can take from the thing. And Vernon Hargreaves was out for the first quarter. don't know if that was discipline or just tactical Um, I don't know but yeah it feels like when things are against you um, when you've come in on a short you know you're effectively every week's a short week for this team because of the legacy issues and when you try and make things harder for yourself I think that's where it starts to grate on people a bit and I think you see that now and as you said it might not be the last Um, we're looking at New England this week and I think this could be another example of you know you saw the game plan that Bilicek devised uh, for for Zach Wilson against the Jets, you saw the various, you know, the number of times he's done this in the past. He's got he's got probably more examples and more variations of a game plan, so we can watch Mills' head almost frazzle out his helmet. And I think that's, the, that's probably the worry for this week, again, that you've got a position where you've got a defence who, despite the lack of talent, is going to give you everything they've got, but it's not going to be good enough, let's be honest, unless you get, you know, three to four turnovers in your favour and don't turn it over yourself. And you're going to have an offense that may probably struggle to move the ball at all. And you and you wonder, will this be the, you know, I think, I suppose first point is, do we expect a paste and repeat of, of Sunday? Um, and if that does happen, do you think that engenders a change and they do look to bring somebody in just in case Tyros rehab doesn't go to schedule or goes down again, you know, at some point this season?
0: Yeah, I I, I was surprised when, or... I guess maybe not surprised that he said it, but I I am surprised at the idea of, if true, that they're not looking at other quarterbacks. You know, David Cully was asked about that directly on Monday and said, not at this time. And I asked him about Tyrod Taylor's health and and just where he's at with his recovery. I, and I understood that he wouldn't be available, obviously because of being on the injured reserve That, that, you know, this third game is coming up against the Patriots and he's obviously not available coming up this week, but that, you know, how soon might he be available like how long is it? how long are we talking here basically and he, you know you said a couple of weeks um so that i mean that's that, i guess that's good for the team but you know you you look at the pattern of how much we, we've talked about this but the backup quarterback situation is is bad, like Davis Mills should basically be what Dr- Jeff Driscoll is, right? The guy who, God forbid that you have to put this guy in the game. He's on the roster. He's on the practice squad or whatever it is. However, you configure it roster wise, right? But God forbid this guy actually have to have to play a game almost, you know, an em- literally the emergency quarterback. Um, so, you know, so you don't have to go wildcat with Mark Ingram or whatever it is, but you you need a viable backup and that they don't have one does surprise me um and uh yeah i I think that (laughs) i think that that's that's obviously an issue going into this game i don't think it'll be a repeat of necessarily of what happened in buffalo because i i just don't think that the patriots are anywhere near as good as the bills but as far as like in spirit yeah like where you get dominated um by you know by an opposing defense because your quarterback is is overwhelmed and you know the opposing quarterback is better than yours you know obviously mac jones is not josh allen so i i mean i don't think that that it's going to be quite as drastic um but i do think i do think it'll be an interesting parallel watching mac jones the you know the check down machine that he's been so far and but effective i'm not i don't say that as a as a as a knock i know i'm kind of tongue-in-cheek there but he's been he's been good at it like i i think it's Perfectly fine to be a check down artist if you're making good decisions and you're completing the passes and if you have playmakers who can make good on those check downs, obviously, like a lot of things go into play on on how those check downs work out. Right. Um, the the team, so to speak, uh, factors in factors more into that. And I think he's kind of got you know, a better supporting cast around him, better coaching around him. Um, but I think it'll be an interesting parallel of what Davis Mills could could be or ha- could have been with more experience and uh, more opportunities. You know, like before now, like th- if this wasn't his 13th, 14th, whatever the hell start it was since his, since high school, um, like that's that's yeah. that's that's, <laughs> not, that's not ideal. Um, and so uh, it'll, it'll just be an interesting parallel. Here's here's what maybe Davis Mills would have looked like uh if he played a full season or, and you know here's what Mac Jones would look like if if he didn't <laughs> you know um so but no i i think it'll be bad i'd picked before the season i'd picked the, the Texans to win this game but you know i thought Tyrod Taylor would be playing in the game so um and i thought so i thought they might have had a better chance um, i don't think that they'll win it now so things are already going a lot differently than how I sort of even predicted them and I didn't pr- predict them to go out there and be world beaters obviously um but this is just going to be like the Panthers game another game that in the preseason I picked them to win cuz I thought maybe they'd have a chance and nah nah not going to happen
2: i'm expecting this game to kind of look like a 2020 Titans game against the Texans i think the mm. patriots are going to run the ball down their throats And the interesting thing to me about that is that we've talked a lot about Lovey Smith correcting the, the, the passing game, but that run game, that run defense is still pretty bad. I mean, they, they've given up four and a half per carry to, I think every team, but the Panthers who were on a backup running back was a rookie or something like this is, this has not been fun to watch any any way anyway, either. And I think it's going to look like Mac Jones play action, check down, check down, check down uh Jacoby Myers underneath Uh, and it's 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 disheartening to just your nine point home underdogs to a one in three team starting a rookie quarterback it's like that that, that's that's a level of crystallization that's the word you used earlier that's level crystallization that's really setting in for me now is oh my goodness this could be really bad until it gets healthy
0: yeah, but but I mean yeah. you but but you are but you're also the you're you're also the one in three football team starting a rookie quarterback, uh who's not as good as and your rookie quarterback is not as good as the other one in three football teams rookie quarterback. And that one in three football team has the best coach of all time, and you have a first year head coach who's not the the the, the best coach of all
2: time. Whoa whoa <laughs> Breaking
0: news! <laughs> hey, I went out. I, I went out on a limb. You heard that here first on the Turn Up for Watt podcast that David Culley is not the best coach of all time. <laughs> and and I, my fear as well for Culley is like, as you said, it's
1: like, does this keep going in the same direction all year? And like it only gets harder as you get guys nicked up. You know, you, you saw what one injury completely transformed this roster. Now, I, I wouldn't rule out you know, Tyrod to come back at some point and for them to be more competitive than they are now. But right now they just look, you know, for Sunday and then Thursday night as well at times, despite Carolina doing everything they could, playing undisciplined football, you know, penalties galore, um giving you every chance you probably could have asked for, um, to get back into that game. You couldn't take it apart from one drive, a two minute up tempo uh, drive. And, and and look, I think, you know, Sunday was one of these days, everything went against you. Um but I, I just think that there has to be an element of, you know, could you, I'd probably rather have had Shane Leckler out there, you know, throwing as the emergency, he was always the emergency guy, wasn't he? If, if the quarterback went down, that was what O'Brien said, he'd come in. And do you know what, he might have completed some passes and he might have known where to place the ball. You know, Brandon Whedon, you know, and, you know was looking at it around, is TJ Yates still, you know, fit enough to go? And like, you know, and you think of all the, I know, and look, the guys who are on the street right now are not good and are they going to be all that much better than Davis Mills that I'm sure the coaching staff through their own pride alone would suggest that they won't be better than Davis Mills because he's had full training camp etc um he knows the system he knows the playbook but you sometimes wonder if you brought an even a Cam Newton with one arm and he, even if you just gave him you know QB options one every three plays and you managed to squeeze enough out the run game you'd be a bit better than what we saw Sunday and I think that's the that's the the point that you know how much does the people take of this? And if it just slides in, in the same direction it is now and you've got Coach Cully there or Caretaker Cully just looking like a rabbit in the headlights, not really knowing what to, you know, which way to look, what to say, um, it's got the potential to get kind of ugly, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, Cully... I... <laughs> I was I did a a hit with one of the TV stations here in Houston. And I think one of the questions, you know how you gotta do those quick, you know, like little bits for TV. And it was like David Cully by the bye week or bye week eight will be what? Right? And the and you use a word, fill in the blank. And my word was aging. He will be aging. Like David Cully, I think, uh Say what you want about him as a coach. I think he I think he looks pretty good for sixty five, six, whatever he just turned. I think he might have just turned sixty six. I think the man looks good for his age, you know, for yeah. for now, for now. I think by uh, in the next few weeks, he's just, it's 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 going to be it's going to be it's going to be really tough. The the. The one of the a couple of presidents ago, they looked at there was a picture of Obama and how yeah. young, he how young he looked when he was first elected uh, in 2008. And by the end of his first term, how he looked like he had aged like 30 years. I think it's going to be I think you're looking at a similar thing with David Cully, like it all just sort of coming to a head, Um, you know, reaching <laughs> reaching a point where you realize, hey, I don't I mean, what do I do with, uh, you know, a team that can't run the ball. I got five running backs and only one of them can make anything happen whether whether the the you know the lines block it or not. And I don't I can't block from my offensive line to my tight ends to my run to my wide receivers direct to anybody. And I say I'm a running team. The point you mentioned about <laughs> about quarterback like I'm I'm not like beating on the table to bring Cam Newton in here or anything, but I certainly wouldn't be opposed to it for for, for just one one reason, if, if for no other reason, one reason alone. And that's because they said they wanted to run the ball. Right. Like, the, <laughs> I mean, they said they wanted to run the ball. They can't run the ball. They don't have any good running backs with respect to Mark Ingram, who's trying I at least. I would at least not slander Mark Ingram. The Philip Lindsay thing has been a total. Well, I was wrong about that. I thought he was going to be actually be good. He's not good. Um, but,
2: Sixteen carries for six yards. Yeah, it's,
0: it's, six. yeah. Look, he does. Look, Philip Lindsay doesn't have a lot to work with, and I'll give him that. But he's also just not not doing anything, not making anything happen. So why not? Why not bring in Cam Newton, who is not. Not what he was as a passer, and was has I don't think it was ever necessarily an elite passer, but it was it at, at one point, you know, an, an adequate one, uh, adequate enough to lead the Panthers to the Super Bowl and win MVP and all of that. But has always been a dynamic force in the run game because of sheer sheer size and strength, yeah. and 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 willingness and want to to get to mix it up and get nasty in the run game. You <laughs> you I mean they talked about wanting to be dogs and you know bringing in these tough guys and they're like. That the whole tough guy thing that the Texans were trying to sell us earlier in this, in, you know, in the off season and early in the training camp and preseason and all that—that that has not manifested itself on the field at all, like in in any in any any form or fashion. Maybe outside of Mark England. Um so I I'd, 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 uh, I'd love to see it. I'd love to I'd love to see what that <laughs> looks like.
1: That Ed Oliver play, where I think they'd run a, they pulled the guard or the tackle, I can't remember which one, as again, I'm going off live memory here, um, and he came in the backfield and just absolutely devoured uh, Lindsay. And I thought I just summed up our season, it's probably summed up our run game of, you know, it was, you know, it seemed like it was well thought out. But I suppose it kind of goes back to, and I'm sure it was yourself, um, Rivers that had the, an article out about the cinematic universe of the Texans and how they just they choose themselves to delude themselves and in in, um, in certain you know del, you know whatever delusions they may choose that'll suit their suit their predicament that they find themselves in of which there are many but um, they, there was a uh, there was the, just when you were talking there Brandon about. Uh, Cully there and if you remember the implant question from his first, his opening press conference him, when they got a fan to, or season ticket holder to come in <laughs> and ask a question. I think her name was I think her name was Melissa and he called her Vanessa. I no, can't remember. Anyway, no, either he, way around i he, he
0: called he got her lease. I remember this. He got her lease.
1: At least yeah. yeah he, he got the name wrong. Anyway, but it was it was it was at that point that was when I really kinda of worried because I thought, well, you know, you he said something about the smile on your face and I was thinking, Well, if you've looked at the roster and I know he 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 told people that he, he got the job without you know having a extensive portfolio to come in and, and explain to the GM what his plan was for each of the players. And again, odd in itself, and it goes back to that Cinematic universe point. But the, the the that that comment there about we want to keep a smile on your face, it just it just felt like to me. I don't think he realised how bad this team was, and he, he lets the coaching staff get get on with it. But I think when you saw that you know that and it goes back to the run game because if you can run the ball you can survive you can hold the clock the defense doesn't get gashed you don't concede 21 points in the fourth quarter but at that, that point that play when ed oliver just ran right up the middle and it just it was like a welcome welcome to this 2021 season houston texans because you're nowhere near the requisite level you need to be to be competitive and i thought i just it kind of, uh, it was one of those moments. Where it was, and there was another play actually with both safeties blitzed. I think it was both safeties. It was the nickel and the safety. And they both tackled the running back in the backfield at the same time. And you just, and you know, and it's just like when it's complete blown plays like that, uh, it just, it's quite stark. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. it probably just, it
0: highlights a lot more than just that play, you know. Uh-oh. Oh, I, I, I... Yeah, I, I just wanted to mention real quick since you talked about it, Oliver. That I, I'm trying to remember the exact play because I, what you're describing stood out to me, and I'm just I'm blanking right now on the exact play. But I I did note from rewatching the game that I watched Ed Oliver kick at least three guys. but on the offensive <laughs> line, which inc- w- would include Max Sharping a couple of times. Yep. Uh, I I want to say that there's one. It's not it, Mar- Marcus Cannon was uh, Latula L- L- It was is who I'm actually thinking about. But definitely Max sharpen a couple of times, and uh, the and, and Justin Britt once, and then later on, um, I think one of the maybe I-, I can't remember exactly when, but the play you mentioned about the safety blitz was another example of just t- bad team blocking because i thought that there was an opportunity there for chris conley to maybe pick up hide and all he did and and maybe not but all he did was like just fall into the into like the the muck of whatever was going yeah, on with just threw in the pile yeah and, yeah,
1: and yeah. it
0: was like what do you what do you do like he wasn't making himself useful I i don't know what the blocking scheme and assignments actually are but i see a guy that is that's coming wide open over here and and a comparable size guy, you know, we've got a safety and a wide receiver. That's, I like that matchup there. And instead of the wide receiver, maybe picking him up, he's just like in the muck of nothingness, you know, and not contributing at all, you know, and it's just like, that's a good title for the show,
2: the muck of nothingness. (laughs) 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 Lack
0: of awareness.
1: Yeah. I mean, before we move on, uh, rivers anymore. The want to round us off on the, the delusions I suppose that you see, and I think because like that that run play, like you see that happen every fucking week. There is somebody who is doesn't look for the second level blitzer, just dives inside, and then the guy goes and makes a play, and it's just basic stuff like that that we're still watching. Um, and it's you know how long does that go on for that you can ask people to watch this and the, is there a public backlash to their. To their uh you know their own their own uh their own world that a lot of these people seem to be in and i know it's a bubble to the league right but what do you think that do you think it, do you think it snowballs or do you think there's any kind of any inflection point they can make that's within their control to sort of kind of steer this a little
2: i mean everything we've seen so far has been just dialed right into the same delusions so <laughs> it, it, it's it's hard to, it's hard to think about a way that this team would get it wrapped around their heads that we need to do read option stuff. We need to bring in Cam Newton. We need to, uh, you know, trade for somebody who can help in the near term as well as the long term. But it's really hard to understand from what we see today, how that happens. And even like, you know, the competition ethos that they preach all training camp. Well, okay. We had a competition, Mark Ingram won, David Johnson won, Phil Lindsay won, and now they'll have the same roles for four weeks in a row, and nothing has changed, even though the run game has been brutal. So, what was all that competition mindset really worth? What, what, where are all those big, tough competitors I heard about that were just going to push everybody and everything would be great? Because I'm, I'm not seeing that on the field for sure. And you and forgot
0: one, you, you, you forgot one, Rivers. Uh, Rex Burke had won two, by the way, from in that competition <laughs> somehow. So Rex just, Burke has
2: one. Th- what rex burke had won three carries a game or whatever it is (laughs) yeah and i guess to to end this point just as brandon was saying uh talk about david cully at the bye the word the words i would use by the by david cully's tongue will be bleeding Mm
1: -hmm. yeah i mean i suppose it's maybe just a nervous habit i i don't know if in real time, does the does the big screen show the same pictures as the broadcast? Sometimes, and he sees himself on the screen, and that's a nervous infl- and you know reaction he has. Um, but it kind of looks as awkward as some of his coaching and some of his answers, and it all just kind of feeds into that. He's he's um, he's a
2: character, man. I would love to. He he did a, a thing with the Texans yesterday, where they you know had had Jonathan some questions, and he talked about how much he loved horror movies. I would listen to David Kelly talk all day just as a football coach i'm like what's happening here
1: yeah cuz yeah he's he's the perfect like position coach maybe even assistant position coach you know he's a guy that you know can bring some experience can you know can motivate guys but to lead a football team and stuff and I always thought like when Casario kind of, and, I look, and I know we're kind of getting off on a tangent here of, of you know and it's easy to get the knives out and it's easy to to, uh, to really kind of go at them after a, a bad defeat so you know we obviously there's a lot of football to be played but it certainly looks like it's trending in a very specific direction but I think I'd always, and I always kind of go back to that and again strange press conferences and these are where you kind of see the internal meet the external at times but when you know Casario kind of said well, you know wouldn't you want to play for this guy isn't he a great guy and all the time, you thought there was something uneasy about it. And there's some of that uneasiness has now kind of fallen off, you know, or fallen in very much in the public light. And you see it, you know, a disastrous kind of football product out there. So, you know, it is what it is at this point. But, you know, I think we're in agreement. I think, you know, there's going to be an uphill battle against New England. And we'll see where that one takes us. Um, a, a wide variance of outcomes. But I can't really see much more than uh, unless there's some a number of plays fall your way, you know, all those forced fumbles and. And etc. Kind of go your way, then we might get a result. Um, but this, you know, you wouldn't be talking about this team if you didn't talk about the continual circus that they've created partly, and well, their quarterback created partly. Um, I suppose the talking heads were were out in force again. Um, J. are really kind of, you know, pumping the throttle a bit on the Watson rumours. I suppose my overall re- re- reaction is. There is no news, but we're trying to make it news. Have you got any more reflections on where this sits at this point? Because it would seem un- it completely implausible to make a move at any point between now and the end of the season. But do you think, in any stretch or form, they've before? Do they get do they get tempted pre-trade deadline, or do you think this one just fizzles out
2: on the long game? Yeah, you're kind of cutting out there, but I guess the the, the, the my basic takeaway from from what happened is uh, Jay Glazer is the one reporting all this stuff. Jay Glazer is going yeah. like all in on the idea that Watson's going to get traded, and it's very interesting to me because nobody else who's sourced in this area is backing that at all. So I, I'm like looking for other signs of life on this and like not finding any. And Jake is normally very reliable as a reporter. So those two things are they're kind of they're kind of bumping heads for me. And it it it's almost tonally weird. Like it's, you know, maybe, maybe he's being fed something from Watson's camp or something. But I, I can't tell you for sure what's happening there. All I know is I don't expect anything to change. I think that they're gonna sit on his rights and they're gonna wait for the trial to resolve. And once trial resolves, they'll trade him.
0: I, so i think that the, the narrative has kind of been confused a little bit for for, for one thing i, I want to say this about the, the national media and, and on reporting about watson that just from like being in this business I, I understand what they're doing and and why it is that they do that every sunday like the nfl is a production they like th- this is this is a day to report into and, and a day to update the national and worldwide audience, like, like everyone who follows the game. So like everybody is not as entrenched in the every Watson headline and every nugget about what's going on the way the three of us are and the way, probably most of the folks who listen to this podcast are, you know, there's a national audience out there. Who's like, doesn't know anything about like, knows next to nothing about what's going on with Watson. They just see one of these great quarterbacks who, They probably know, says he wanted to be traded. They probably know he's been accused of stuff, but he's also still on the team. And like, what the hell is going on there? Like, what's that about? And so I I understand why the the national networks and and outlets feel like it's necessary to do like a a weekly update, even if there's nothing really to update it. It sounds redundant for us who know that there's nothing new, but I, I get the purpose that it serves. As far as like the actual reporting what rivers is talking about and what jay what jay glazer is reporting i i I do find it interesting that no one else has been able to like co-sign this idea that the texans are softening their stance but i also didn't really feel like it was it's ever really been or I, i question how much it's really been about that or that there's like a exact time when they feel like it's right to to trade him i feel like if it if they get the offer that they like they'll do it whether it's now or the trade deadline or at the end of the season like it's like there's a there's a price and if you pay it then they'll they'll trade them like i really think it is that that simple i don't think they're waiting for draft positioning specifically because i think that there's limited teams that are actual possibilities so in that regard, it doesn't really matter. Like, like I'm so sorry, Texans fans and people who want what's best for the team, T.A.M. That's not going to be a part of the equation because there's only, you know, Watson gets to pick his destination effectively, and Watson's preferred destination ain't got nothing to do with who finishes last and where you, <laughs> where you think he should go and all of that. All of those idealistic uh, aspects of of the of the process here, they just don't really factor in for the folks that matter. So, I mean, I, I I don't understand exactly what the whole softening their stance is, that that was just like a fresh angle on a stale topic. But I understand why they continue to report the news, even though, even though there's no news. And I think the important things that you can glean from what you know, like just from what you hear on the record and out in public, is when Nick Casario says that the Deshaun Watson situation is – day to day i take that almost literal and i kind of read between the lines there right like it's day to day Mm -hmm. in the sense that today's on the team tomorrow in theory we could agree to a trade (laughs) and then that day he's gone you know literally day to day and uh and so like that's and 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 also like he's not he doesn't want to say hey we're going to trade this guy so day to day is his way of saying is basically to me his way of confirming to us that they are not shopping him i should say but taking in offers or you know if they if yeah. they, if they're coming so so i think i think the watson thing has actually been clear for those or at least should be clear for those of us following it closely and then i understand why it would be confusing to those who are not
1: Yeah, and I think, I suppose, yeah, it's one of those things, and I I don't know how how much validity there is in the the three first three-thirds that they reportedly rejected. I'm not sure if you wouldn't have taken that considering the circumstances, but yeah, I mean, it'll rumble on, I suppose. Um, I suppose that the whole interest of that is when you do move on, you have picks. I think looking at the college slate, this weekend you saw uh, Corral, who was for Ole Miss, He was probably, you know, being the number one guy, not be the overly productive against Alabama, which is probably a good test of, you know, how good he can be um, from how much of you know, or the limits, you know, take have watched to the college game. Rivers, is there anybody out there that you've kind of, you, you think is is worth a look or is it really just a, at this point it's got to be BPA and we'll... You know when it comes draft time and move on, and actually where we are as a position, I kind of like when people say, "Oh, there isn't a number one quarterback out there," and I think, well, you know, if you see some of the guys that are struggling this year, I'm, you know, I'm okay with that. Let's just start rebuilding first, and not uh, and not force the issue unless somebody's, you know, un, you know, undisputedly in your lap there as a quarterback. You know, come draft time.
2: I'm a big Malik Willis fan. I think he's probably the best quarterback I've seen so far, uh, and he's definitely upped his game this year, which has been impressive to me. But at the same time. I think the way that he, he's being viewed by NFL scouts is interesting. You've already got kind of the 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 small kids stigma. I think he's six one. And then you've also got the small school stigma. We've had like Trey Lance get drafted number three overall, but Trey Lance was six five or whatever, enormous, uh prototype, quarterback traits and all that. Willis is not that. So I'm I'm kind of curious where he winds up. I think Mel Kuiper had him as like 16th overall, kind of like split the difference between he's a second round pick because of his size and school. And also he's performing really well. So I don't know where NFL Scott's going to wind up on that. That would be the guy that I want out of this class so far. I'm sure there's still time for somebody to impress me. I know it's Spencer Rattler can improve and he's had a bad, you know, start, but, but yeah, I mean, this is kind of where I'm at is you take best player overall, number one or number two or whatever it is. And then if Malik Willis is a guy you want, you trade up for him, just like you could have traded up in 2014 to go back to those parallels for uh, Teddy Bridgewater if you wanted him.
0: Yeah, I, I don't I don't think I could say it any better. And And I haven't watched a ton of Malik Willis, but he's the only one who hasn't like in any way disqualified himself right like sam sam howell i feel i feel like maybe did that in his first game like in the first week um you mentioned spencer radler not really seeing it there uh you know in oklahoma they're calling for the backup they're calling for the freshman to play over here um and 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 you mentioned the old miss quarterback who was i think probably underwhelming i am so where i'm at with quarterback though just sort of in general is like i'm not I, I'm not like you've got to get uh, I'm not I'm not desperate for the quarterback. And you, my guys might think I'm a little crazy for this, but I think you've got time to find your quarterback. You've got this year. I think you've got next year. And I don't know how y'all feel about this, but I'm actually perfectly fine with the idea of Tyrod being your bridge quarterback until you find the guy. I like preferably you find the guy now right Uh, you know as soon as possible but i think you've got a couple of years between uh, you know accumulating the draft picks first of all getting your draft picks back finally recovering from not having them the last few years and then on top of that whatever you get for deshaun watson assuming that something shakes with that between now and the end of the season so so in my view it's it's more so of just restocking the team and i I would agree with what River says there, like you go best player available, maybe you trade up to give Malik Willis, maybe to to River's point about how he's being evaluated, maybe that guy's available where you're where you're at, like wherever your next pick is at, you know i like yeah like who who knows, or if you've got another one by then, who knows if you've got a couple of first rounders, you know, and he's available in the mid to late first round, or again in the second, you know i like i'm I'm open to that um uh, I'm, I'm even I would in that case if you know if Spencer Radler or you know one of these other guys who hasn't impressed is available in the second or third round and you do with them what you did with Davis Mills I'm um, I'd, I'd, I'd maybe even be open to that maybe want to see a little bit more of them before I say for sure on that but would, would probably be open to that um I, but I, I do think that they're probably better off with Tyrod Taylor this year and maybe even next year until they, you know, until they get these draft picks and can really kind of sort of find the guy. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm totally, I'm totally open to not even, you know, dealing with the, the quarterbacks of this class.
2: Oh, I would, I, I would want to take swings of this class for sure. Even if, because, because Tyrod Taylor, he's, you know, he's obviously a good guy. He played very well. But in but the like, top, I
0: mean, in the top, in the top. My bad. In the in the like with, yeah, the, yeah, with yeah. your top pick is is what I was getting at. Like yeah, like I was saying before, yeah. if you want to take swings later, later in the in the draft or later, you know, just the idea. Oh, we got to go get the best quarterback with our first pick. That yeah. that philosophy. No, maybe maybe in the second round, third round, or uh, later in the first. If you if you've got one, it's not like a a, a desperate thing. Oh, you got to go reach for that guy. Sort of thing.
2: Listen, I, I don't have inside sources or anything, but I've been very strongly on the record on this. I, I, at some point in the next six months, I think Jimmy Garoppolo will be a Texan, and I think that would be bandied about as the answer. Yeah,
1: I don't think you're... I mean, yeah, it would make sense, and there's a, a lineage there, I suppose, to, to draw back to something, the man who drafted him to try and, you know, bridge um, into, you know, the, the future. I, I, um, on I mean, record is
2: saying... And very complimentary things by jack easterby as well so <laughs> yeah
1: yeah starts to get a bit uncomfortable doesn't it i think <laughs> just before we finish on that bit um and we've got one one more bit to talk about which is rather interesting in the time we've got left but um very quickly rivers who's your best non-quarterback you've seen coming out in the draft this year
2: i mean i think you got to go with uh with Kvon on up at oregon i mean he i know he is yeah. he has not played a lot this year but what he's shown, I mean, it does really feel like 2014 <laughs> for Ken, doesn't it? It feels yeah, like I'm watching yeah, yeah. the new clowning go to work. And that's kind of where I expect things to settle if uh, the Texans wind up number one overall.
1: Yeah. No, I think you're right. I mean, he's, he's a man amongst boys at college, so uh, very similar to Damian Clowney. And to finish off uh, on a point, which was in the media last week, and I heard you talking about this, Brandon, last week on the radio filling in. Uh, for Landry on this, but um, obviously the Seth Wickham and book came out last week. Um, Better to be feared if nobody's seen it. It's a book by an, an ESPN employee, I think. Um, and uh, he's written a book about the Patriots. Good timing with it, with the, the, the Patriots going or uh, having the return of um, Tom Brady with Tampa Bay um, as the late kickoff on Sunday. Um, but there was a story in there whereby I'll just round this off really quickly is, Effectively Bill O'Brien got got word that potentially Robert Kraft want to move on from Bill Belichick, odd as it seems. Um, and word got back that Tom Brady had suggested Bill O'Brien might be a suitable candidate to replace him if Josh McDaniels was going to go and take a head coaching role, and and this got back to O'Brien, uh, who and I, I laughed at the, the term O'Brien confidant because you, you I just had a, an image of somebody in a bar that he's had one too many and he just starts talking to and telling him about you know his inner secrets because he doesn't seem like he he keep that many close circles. Bill O'Brien just with his temperament, but anyway. And he he basically intimated that he wanted to get fired, and then I suppose when you think of the offshot of that, somebody who wanted out or confessed to somebody who wanted out, the validity will never know. But I think this guy's pretty well sourced and pretty well respected. I've not seen many too too many people trying to discredit this uh, viewpoint. But I think it it probably sums up the the downfall of this team um, through an owner who was ill and his gormless son kind of takes over and, and doesn't can't really see the wood from the trees because he's just never really been engaged you know Brandon and I talked about the video games in his office um, clip that we got in on one of the po- the, the national podcasts and you think if the guy who wanted out you gave all the power to got rid of some really really good football people and Rick Smith including that um, and he le- leaves a car crash in his wake and I suppose that, that anecdote probably sums up the downfall of this team and I suppose it probably again go back to it probably crystallised the downfall a little bit really and kind of put a bit of meat on the bones and it, in the context of everything that's happened that story makes a lot of sense
0: yeah i mean it, it that explains a lot that if you know and, and I, th- I think a lot of us around here got the sense that bill o'brien didn't want to be here especially toward those latter years but like it, it would make perfect sense that the, someone who doesn't want to be around would make all of these curious decisions like like he doesn't really care about being around or like he, you know such such reckless moves like the idea of bill o'brien not want to be wanting to be here is logically consistent with him helping in part with jackie to be set the franchise on fire so to speak in terms of roster construction and you know the morale of the team so in that in that way it is not surprising but it is frustrating when you think about the fact that he was able to amass power and he was able to survive other people who who fell along the way, who, you know, you could argue one way or the other, but, you know, probably shouldn't have gone the way that they did. Like if, whether you feel like whoever was was ousted by Bill O'Brien should have been a part of the organization or not, uh, it probably shouldn't have gone the way that it did um, with with the way, you know, there appeared to be like some backstabbing and, and house cleaning. Um, like just the way the thing, the things played out the last couple of years. It makes you feel even ickier about that when you think about the guy not even wanting to be here uh, to, to see it through, to see it through the end. Um, I am curious about Tom Brady wanting Bill O'Brien to be his head coach. Um, and, you know, far be it from me to, to question Tom Brady and who he thinks should be a head coach and who he wants to be his head coach and who he wants around him. But really, Tom, like, all right, whatever. Um, sure, <laughs> I guess. Um, but I, I that that was the curious part about it to me was like, I figure Tom Brady would know better than that. Not that not that Bill O'Brien is the worst coach to ever exist, but like if 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 you're Tom Brady and you could hand pick your coach, you know, you're Tom Brady, I mean, you know, you're not just run of the mill franchise quarterback, you are Tom Freaking Brady. And you're going Bill O'Brien. I just that that was the part that didn't make sense to me about the story. But from a Texans fan perspective, you're like, oh man, this guy, this guy, master power. And then the other element, which I discussed on the radio with John when we were on on in the loop, was you know the concept of maybe taking advantage of of a vulnerable party. Um, you know, a, a, gr- a grieving, close to grieving, uh, about to be grieving, however you want to look at it. Uh, family in the McNairs with Bob McNair's health failing and um you you see how his inner circle the the, the folks that are sort of influential in in the texas decision making in the inner circle is starting to change as rick smith goes out and bill o'brien amasses more power and Jackie to be becomes more of a confidant than those who were to say bob you know um like like the whole circle changes and changes for the worse and bill o'brien is the face of that and all the while he's angling the Go back to New England, you know, and, you know, not not all the way even invested in a team that that just traded up the draft, a franchise quarterback who, again, in context at that time, we didn't know that this is how it would end with Deshaun. You know, in 2017, you're thinking, crap, we got it. We got to do, you know, you got you got a franchise quarterback to work with, um, you know, a future. Say what you want about Cal, you know, and an owner that looks like he's willing to, to, to spend money and allow you to take risk. You know, like, what's what's the big deal here? Like, why do you why do you hate us? Uh, if, but the feelings mutual sort of sort of thing. Uh, so so, yeah, it was just uh, it's just like, yeah, you know what? This isn't surprising, but I'll be damned.
2: Rivers and I do not yeah, round us up No said it perfectly I mean I, I, at this point, I am tired of talking about pillow I, I know I know that feels weird because i'm I'm very focused on the past and how the past has informed this future, but I don't know how much he really did in the GM chair that he gets the credit for because because they talk about all these committees and everything and you know, before Jack Easter became here, we never heard or peep one about, oh, Bill O'Brien hates DeAndre Hopkins. Oh, Bill O'Brien needs to shake up everything. Like they were a very slow moving team before that. So it's very interesting to me how much of that blame O'Brien gets. And I'm fine with, you know, shot and Bill O'Brien's Alabama stuff, whatever. That's all cool with me. But like, as, as his Texan senior, I'm so tired talking about it at this point.
0: Yeah, it was. Hey, look, it was the flat organizational structure that did this. <laughs> what, what, whatever, whatever it is that a flat organizational structure was, you know. And we all made fun of it at the at the time. But it's yeah. essentially the the flat organizational structure was, you know, in some in some hierarchy and hierarchy in some order. Bill O'Brien, Jack, used to be in Cal McNair, right? Well, whatever, like whatever the flat organizational structure was, was the flatlining of the Texans as we knew them. So you can go Bill O'Brien or Jack or Cal or you know, blame them all, but it, it and, and it's, it's guys that like moment. Matt Bazarigan, yeah, but like Matt Bazarigan, James Lipford, they two buy and watched it,
1: and they're still here. So you know, and I think when all the time you think, you know. Was this going to be a new year? and it still feels like you know that story? And you know, and you're right. We should not be talking about a former head coach. Now you know, sort of four or five games in a new season. Um, we should have moved on. The well, legacy. That's a good again. point.
0: That's a good point about about uh, Madden James, though. Like like scouting. I'm, watched that happen. I'm, I'm it not saying whether, whether they should be here or not, but I mean, you think about scouting has been it seems to have been in t- scouting in town and talent evaluation is just much as much of an issue as decision making so i'm, I'm with you on that too like yeah, you know I, i'm about to be extended yeah yeah you should probably i would, done away yeah, I would you know, love right. to
2: sit down i want to sit down with the entire scouting staff and i want to give them truth serum and the only two questions i'm going to ask are why is david johnson here and why is bernard hargraves here that's the only questions and i want to hear real <laughs> answers <laughs>
1: And I think the reasons extend beyond football a lot of the time and 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 I think that's that's the probably a fitting way to end the hundredth episode talking about uh the Houston Texans. It's not just about football and the turn up for what? As a lot of people keep asking, Are you gonna change the name of the podcast? But it was a rhetorical question, just with a change of spelling, um, of a question I've asked myself many times, and again on Sunday, why'd I do this to myself? But look an hour and thirty minutes here talking about keep it interesting at least put Brandon Rivers thank you very much for your time on the 100th episode of Turn Up For What podcast if you're not already check out the website at podcasttexans.com if you're watching on YouTube give us a like subscribe but give us a review on the audio version on your chosen platform but guys any last words before we head out here
0: yeah no just I'll just, just get, get, get well Tyrod Taylor man I saw him uh, in, the, in the hallway uh, last week before the Patriots game. I'm sorry, before the Bills game. And uh, he, you know, looked looked all right, was walking fine. What didn't have a limp? So um, we asked him how he was feeling. He said he's feeling good. So I hope that means that, uh, you know, we see him pretty soon.
2: <laughs> all, all I got to say is, uh, for not for me, because I'm a Mets fan, but for the sake of the rest of you soon go Astros. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right so <laughs> the silver lining as they get ready for the playoffs i think in the houston sporting landscape but guys thank you very much and uh, thanks again for everyone for listening and uh here's to another 100 more episodes hopefully some more success littered in there at the very least but uh, thanks again and we'll catch you again next week